You know, I'm uh, just putting a little lipstick on, just putting a little lip balm on. And, and do you know why I had this impulse? You ever have these kinds of impulses? Hope you're doing well, Stefan Molyneux, Freedom Man. You ever these kinds of impulses where you you just you want to take you want to take the chapstick, you want to like jam it up your nose and then hit it with a hammer until it breaks through your brain and you don't have to read the news anymore. Would that be like you know just just straight up just like bang bang? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be tempting? At times. Ah, <laughs> yes we are. How you guys doing? Ah, how's your day? How's life? What's new? What's new? Uh, hello to Barbara. Hello, Robobeast. Hello, Sapanta. Hello, James. Hello, others. Sounds like good advice. You read too much news? It's, um, you know what? It's, it's kind of like being tied to the train tracks, and you know an engine's coming like you're trapped in some... Bad sting song, right? And you know a train is coming, and you're like, I'm going to check on it. Like, you know, you can't get off the train. You're tied to the train tracks. You know a train's coming, but you can't look away. And that's kind of what it is with the media now. It is uh, a bifurcated reality, completely bifurcated reality. And it's pretty, it's pretty wild. How are you guys holding up? How are you guys holding up? What's with the chat on the right? Hey, we're not on the right, man. We're just right. We're not on the right. We just are right. The Taliban is bashing the tech companies. Oh, I, I can't tell you how many emails. Like, man, you got to tell me the truth about, you got to do the truth about Afghanistan. The pullout. Why did Biden pull out? Well, wars over 18. Oh, there's nothing to say. Come on. I mean, I've done all this stuff a million times before. Politics is just watching slow motion botched surgery that you can never change on loved ones. So um, yeah, I'm not I'm not doing the truth about Afghan. It was all so predictable, and uh, you you can't have a bump stock, but apparently the Taliban can have rockets, fighter planes, flight simulators, shells, weaponry of every kind. I mean, how difficult it is when you're leaving a country. How difficult is it to take a fucking plane out? It's a plane. It flies! That's the whole point! Why are you leaving planes behind? Oh, a little bit of a mystery. But then, but then we are. <laughs> oh, well, at least it's waking up a whole bunch of people. And there do seem to be some people who regret voting Biden, but it doesn't really matter because they've all been dead for 15 years anyway. So, All right. Hello from Houston. Hello, Carpet Bomber of Truth. Nice to meet you. And, oh, yeah, there's going to be millions of refugees from all of this as well. And um, China is going to, you know, it's like that chess move. China takes Taiwan. And uh, all the friends I made in Hong Kong will flee or end up in jail. And It's just where we are. I enjoyed writing The Art of the Argument. I just fear it may have become a historical document. So, yeah, I mean, what's there to say? I mean, this is the usual a clusterfuck of, of things. And this is the amazing thing, too, which is, see, I can't have an account on Twitter. I can't have an account on Twitter. But the Taliban, totally welcome to have an account on Twitter. And that's the world that we live in. And social media companies as a whole, I mean, not, not all of them, but as a whole, um, 
A more wretched hive of scum and villainy can scarcely be imagined. Let's see here. Uh, did you hear about the Plymouth shooter in the UK, neckbeard in cell, killed five people because he couldn't get laid? Well, you're assuming that there's anything factual in what the media... You know, every time there's a shooter, all they do is run interference for the pharmaceutical companies and the psychotropics, I assume, right? So I don't, I don't really believe anything of what they talk about in terms of motivations and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's all, all very, very silly. Yeah, I mean, the world is, is going in such a bad direction. I mean, it has been for a long time. The good news is that all the decisions were put in place long before you and I were born, so... We just get to, uh, not not quite the future we were promised in 2001, right? And uh, if you guys have questions, shoot them in. <laughs> I enjoyed reading the heart of the arguments. It's a shame I'll never get to use it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I've described Afghanistan in videos from years ago. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to do uh, about it anymore. Did you hear how New Zealand is shutting down over one confirmed case? Is it confirmed? Last I had read with New Zealand, um, they had a suspected case of the Delta variant, I think. And our good friend Jacinda Arden, who presided over my uh, basically being, you know, death-threaded and bomb-threaded off the island when I just wanted to go and give a speech about free speech. She was seemed to be pretty content with all of that. And, uh, yeah, I warned everyone in New Zealand about her using the word comrade uh, continually in her socialist youth days. Yeah, I mean, she's a straight up that. So, I mean, I, uh, I I am no longer interested in protecting people from the consequences of their bad decisions. <laughs> I'm no longer interested in owning it. I'm no longer interested in repeating it. I have spent 40 fucking years, 40 fucking years when I could have been doing more fucking. I spent 40 fucking years telling people about the dangers of the state and socialism, collectivism, communism, and so on. And they have elected, they have elected to learn by experience rather than reason. So, what can I do? Taliban is not held back by feminism. So here's a funny thing, right? Here's a funny thing. Uh, give me your guesses. Give me your guesses about... <laughs> give me your guesses about the vaccination rate in F. Af Afghanistan. What, what is the what's what's the vaccination rate in Afghanistan? Uh, here in Canada, seventy percent double dose. I think eighty-two percent single dose, or something like that. What is the um, what is the vaccination rate in Afghanistan? Just out of curiosity, if if you know, ten percent. Lucy chastises me for language and then swears. Ah, uh, it's, um, yeah, we got a 2%, we got a 3%, 11%, 6.9%, 15%, average IQ, uh, 84, yeah, it's, I mean, 4%, so it's 0.07% from the last that I've read, 0.07%, sorry, 0.7%, 0.7%, and uh, it, it's really remarkable, everything that they have going on with such a low vaccination rate, such poor hygiene habits, you think the entire country would be crippled by the coof, but no, they seem to have... Uh, enough energy to expel the uh, Americans like uh, half-rotten Indian food. So, George Takai said unvaccinated should not get medical care. 
Yeah, he's a he's a freak, man. He is a freak. He is a freak and a half. And uh, I just I can't imagine what the Afghani's are thinking when they uncover all of the leftist propaganda that the American military left behind. They just must be, I mean, laughing, absolutely laughing. <sighs> Crazy. What is their COVID rate relative to their neighbors? I don't know, but I'm, I'm sure you're aware that two years after they were kicked out of Afghanistan, the Russian Empire fell. And it's equivalent to the Suez Canal thing in England, which marked the end of England's power and the world stage. Do you see the research that shows high school and PhD have the lowest vaccination rate? High school and PhD. Why is that? Oh, I'm sure you've seen these graphs on um, the bell curve graphs, right? And on the left is a guy who like, I don't want to be no magnetic 5G, you know, that kind of stuff, right? And then in the middle, it's like, jab me, daddy. And on the right, it's a, it's a, a Zen master or a Jedi master who's like, hmm, data just doesn't quite add up. So, well, I would say that you know, what's they say, um, follow the science. It's like, how about you do the fucking science first? How, how about, you know, I think it's uh, at the end of 2023 is when the trials end in Canada. So the, the trials ain't the science any more than the blueprint is the building. So they're doing the science at the moment. There's nothing to follow yet, but I'm eager. Again, I'm rooting for the vaccines, man. I'm root- I like vaccines as a whole. I'm very happy to have had a smallpox vaccine when I was a kid and all of that. So uh, I am rooting for the vaccines to be safe and effective. But I'm an empiricist, as I've always said. So I'll follow the science when the science exists. Now, of course, for those of you who don't know, one of the one of the drivers for the Taliban in Afghanistan was, I can't remember the name of it, but there's this practice of, you know, the corrupt elders in Afghanistan uh, that... that uh, Little boys dance sexually for them, and then they rape them, right? That's, that's the culture. And, and one, of the, one of the drivers for the Taliban to come in was that they put a stop to that uh, practice. Uh, apparently, it's not haram, which is good, of course, right? So, yeah, it's uh, pretty, pretty hard to know who to root for or against. So, yeah, that's crazy. All right. Hello, Papa Oscar from Pennsylvania. <laughs> you want to hear a funny story? That's a tiny funny story. Resurrected from my friends of years past. So <laughs> I was traveling with a friend in Europe many years ago, and we, we came across these girls, not, not particularly smart girls, to put it mildly. And my friend was from Pennsylvania, and um, he said, they said, where are you from? My friend said, Pennsylvania. They said, oh, my God, Pennsylvania? Like where Dracula's from? <laughs> we, we diverged on whether it was worth continuing to talk with these girls. <laughs> Let's see here. Um, Bahabasi is the name of the dance. Is that right? Yeah. Ah, it's, it's horrible. Absolutely, absolutely horrible. All right. Yeah, the Taliban did persecute practitioners of this, this child rape. So... Taliban didn't they? They didn't like the poppy opium racket too. Now you know the pharmaceutical companies are now getting their money from um, I mean, opiates, of course, a lot of that. But the pharmaceutical companies are now getting their money from the vaccine. They don't need no poppy fields. <laughs> they can just let all that stuff go, right? Where are the ducklings? Were the girls hot? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. 
did you <laughs> did you ever have this where you, you <laughs> I remember um, me, meeting a girl, a woman at a, at a conference, and you know everyone has a particular type that is virtually irresistible to them. Do you have this? You can let me know what your type is below. I'll keep mine a deep secret. Of course, I married her. But everyone has a type of of woman that is like the skeleton key. It just unlocks uh, all of your resistance and you go a little mental. And I remember, I was back when I was a single man, I, I met a woman at a conference and we kind of hit it off and we were chatting. But she seemed a little vapid. Like, you know those people? It's like, lights on, nobody home. <laughs> and I'm like asking her questions and they're like, you can see the questions I ask her. They go into her ears and then they just kind of take a little bit of a nap, maybe a bit of a hibernation. They roll around and then back comes some pre-regurgitated spitfest of general societal idiocy. And anyway, I remember I invited her for lunch and we were walking over to lunch and I was like, I was just desperate. I was like, every topic I could think of, I'm like, you're so my type physically. Please, God, let me find some brain matter in there. Please, God above, let me find some brain matter. Because, you know, I don't mind giving a little, uh, uh, I have a little gift, or at least I did back then in terms of intellectual matters. I wouldn't anymore. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was a long lunch. Uh, it was a long lunch. Um, and I guess it's kind of related, right? Because she was so pretty. She got so much attention. She didn't have to work on her conversational skills. But you ever had that where you're just like, man, physically you're like, <laughs> you're like catnip, you're like crack, so to speak. Um, but you, you just can't find, can't find anything. <laughs> can't find anything like that. Uh, let's see here. Thoughts on people who use personal attacks to win debates? Well, I mean, they're not debating, right? They're not debaters, so... Uh, Gary says, I'm 67 years old. I've never seen stupid people like I've seen today. These assholes, these asshole mask holes believe every word the TV box feeds them. Well, you know, we're no longer trained to be skeptical, are we? I mean, we are no longer trained to... I, I just did a podcast on this. You can, it's out at freedomain.locals.com. I just did a podcast on this. You know, when you were a kid, when I was a kid, I'm, and probably is still the case now, when you did your math homework or whatever, they'd, they'd always say, well, they always say, show your work, show your work, make sure you understand. We don't want you to just parrot answers. You've got to show your work. You've got to think for yourself. We've got to make sure that you actually understand what you're writing here. And so we were trained that you couldn't just parrot answers. You had to really think for yourself and, and be original and show your work. But of course, that doesn't happen in the realm of ethics or morals or critical thinking or anything like that, right? So there is no show your work anymore. You're just supposed to regurgitate answers. And fear, fear is, is, uh, is addictive, right? Because the more of your life you sacrifice for fear, the more you need to keep believing, believing in the fear. So it's called the fallacy of sunk costs. It's like a woman who says, well, I've been dating the guy for like three years, so I, like, I can't break up with him now because then I would have wasted three years, you know? Well, I've been waiting for the bus for like half an hour. I can't walk now because then I'd have just wasted half. Fallacy of sunk costs, right? So fallacy of sunk costs is, wow, I didn't... Uh, I didn't see my parents for like a year and a half or whatever, and my, maybe my mom died or whatever. And, and so now you can't question the fear because if you question the fear, you realize that you might have been able to make different choices. And once you can get – there's a tipping point. Like once you can get people to sacrifice a certain amount for an idea, they, they simply won't give up on that idea. Reason, facts, evidence, experience, pain, doesn't matter. doesn't matter. 
I mean, look at the world. I mean, 100 million dead over communism, and we're still facing it again, right? So, no, it's... Uh, and that's why I've always said, like, morality is like the little decisions you make at the beginning of things, right? Morality is the little decisions you make at the beginning of things, not these big extreme moments, right? So all these little decisions you make at the beginning of things. Like, if you've ever been in a relationship that's not going that well, and there's someone around who you're attracted to, they're attracted to you. So what you do is you grit your teeth, you go home, and you deal with whatever's going on in your relationship. You fix it, you break up, whatever you do, right? What you don't do is say, okay, well, I'm not getting any food at home. Maybe I'll get a little bit of snacks on the side. Not a full meal. Like, just a little flirting, man. Just, just, we're just going to flirt and enjoy each other's company and have a couple of lunches where we chat about things and are overly giggly and endorphin-laced and all that. And it's just, you know, how affairs start. It's just step by step by step, right? Just little bit by little bit. And then next thing you know, you're doomed. It's the decision at the beginning to just turn away from your relationship and try and get what you want in your relationship from someone else. All these little decisions at the beginnings of things. And so the, the time to question all of this stuff is at the beginning of things, which is, I mean, everyone can look back. It was like March, last March, last April. Year and a year and a half ago, almost, uh, I was saying no lockdowns. It's going to cost us far more than we save, based on the numbers. It's going to cost us far more in addiction, in deferred health care, uh, in depression, in suicide. It's going to cost us way more than we're ever going to save. The numbers have completely borne me out. But see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Right? <laughs> when when I was a kid, being right was good. Being right, being right was good. The defense, you know, in libel or slander, the defense is truth, right? Right? Somebody calls Johnny Depp a wife beater. Well, that's been adjudicated, at least in a British court. Now he's suing Amber Heard, I think, in an American court for $50 million for defamation, I think, and that, that's going ahead. But in England, you can call Johnny Depp a wife beater because it's been adjudicated in court, and the court said, yeah, you can say that, right? So when I was a kid, if you had it on tape, if you had witnesses, if you 100% were in the right, it was done. You're over. You're, you're right. You're right. And I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but, you know, look at the things that through the grace of philosophy, I've been able to be correct about over the years. And it's pretty much all of them. And being right used to be something that elevated you to greater stature and greater credibility. You know, if you have a financial advisor and they're always right in what they suggest that you buy and hold in stocks or bonds or shares or gold or whatever. If they're always right and you're getting, you know, 15% and they're not Bernie Madoff, then, you know, that's, that's good, right? That's good. If, if you guess or know which horse wins at the horse races down at the pony place, uh, you, you, you do well. If you guess the lottery ticket number's right, you get to make... Being right used to mean something. Now being right means you're fucked. <laughs> you're fucked. Being right, being accurate, being consistently good in your predictions means you get to, being right means you lose. Being wrong means you get promoted. When I was in business, it was a well-known phenomenon. I worked with a lot of large companies, big Fortune 500 companies. And I would almost inevitably, over the course of a business relationship, how about the principle of FUMU? You ever heard this? It's also known as the principle. So FUMU is a principle, F-U-M-U, M-U, F-U-M-U, uh, fuck up, move up. Or the idea is that you keep getting promoted until you're one level beyond your competency, then you stop being promoted. Or it's also known as kick someone upstairs. Like if somebody's screwing up, like you, let's say you're in a combat mission 
and somebody keeps screwing up the combat mission, you want to promote them to some place where they are in charge of your food or, or something so that they're not out there getting you killed in the combat mission. So Fumu is really uh, kind of important and these days, right? And of course, as we know, it's in general the least competent people who end up running the show because it takes a certain amount of absolute intergalactic Mariana Trench deep idiocy to think that you are competent to run hundreds of millions of people's lives at the point of a gun. Like it takes such a unfathomable degree of satanic vanity to believe that you know how to handle the pandemic of a novel coronavirus and you know the best absolute optimal way to deal with a completely novel situation. That's why it's called a novel coronavirus that came from a weapons lab. Yes, it did. To think that you know I mean, you think it, Biden, Trudeau, like all these people, they genuinely wake up in the morning and they say, well, uh, I've been in the Senate for ever, or Justin Trudeau, I, I was an assistant theater instructor. So I know, I know how to handle the first worldwide pandemic of significance in 100 years. I know. Say, oh, well, no, they've got these advisors. The advisors tell them what to do. It's like, well, you have to know how to pick the advisors. You have to know which advisors of the many advisors who disagree to go with. To wake up in the morning. You know, I've always had a policy in my show. I don't tell people what to do. I do not tell people what to do. It would be abominable vanity. It would be to displace their free will with my charisma or persuasion skills, which would be to diminish them as human beings. Telling someone, to, telling someone what to do is like eating their food for them and hoping that they get nutrition or doing sit-ups for them and hoping they get a flat belly. This just doesn't work. So I'm a pretty wise guy. I solved the problem of morality in the secular sense, the holy grail of philosophy. Pretty wise guy. I don't tell people what to do because I'm not vainglorious that way. But to wake up in the morning and say, oh, great day. Uh, I'm just about ready to go point guns at 300 million people and tell them exactly how to handle a complex situation that neither I nor the scientists nor the world have ever experienced before. No problem. Just, yeah, get those guns there, man. Let's do it. It's crazy. So, yes, FUMU, the least competent have the most power and the most competent are deplatformed. That is the way of the world. And at the Shrugged, you, you, you drive all the competent people out of the marketplace of ideas, you're left with all of the vainglorious, sophist idiots and corrupt, corrupt people, and then things go bad enough to the point where you're like, hmm, okay, maybe it wasn't such a great idea to drive the wise people out of the public square. <sighs> Let's see here. Women have a narrow bell curve. Uh, it depends how many dates they've been on, I think, or how many sexual partners they've had. Sorry, just got to turn off a reminder, I think, here. All right. Should I quit my job? <laughs> May need more information than that. Loving the novel almost is so good, isn't it? It's so good. I must say the reading is pretty good too. They call someone like that a butter brain. Hey, do not insult butter. All right. That's all Vosh did when he tried to debate Steph. Well, that's the um, the resentment, right? Why am I not as successful as someone else? And there's an entire cadre of people 
uh, run by the gospel of envy, the gospel of resentment, the gospel of rage. Why am I a beta? Why am I not as successful as somebody else? And I get it. It's, it's a big mystery. It's a big mystery. Why is it that at the height of my social media strength and size, I was virtually unbeatable? Why is it that I got so many views, so many? Why has Tim Pool got so many views, so many listens, right? Why? Why him and not you? Why me and not you? Why is it that, you know, Sting sings like a castrated angel and uh, I sing like a half-wounded beluga, right? It's It's... Half wounded because, you know, it took some singing lessons. So it, there's no fairness in this kind of stuff. It just is the way things are. And we should celebrate the diversity. See, everybody loves diversity as long as it's not white people. But what they don't like is diversity of talent stacks, diversity of ability. That they don't like. Why, Why you know, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, the greatest songwriting team of the 20th century, yeah, produced an amazing amount of incredible songs. And not only, not only were they incredible songwriters and incredibly instinctive musicians. I mean, Paul McCartney didn't even write music. Neither did Freddie Mercury. They use a notation system of their own or have incredible musical memories. I think Paul McCartney finally learned how to, I've never listened to it. He wrote an opera or a classical piece called Liverpool Oratorio. Uh, but I think he learned how to write music. So he didn't even know how to write music. So, but not only were they great musicians, great songwriters, but also Paul McCartney, an incredible vocalist, like an amazing vocalist. Not anymore, man. This Paul McCartney 3 was wretched. It's like listening to old Volkswagen tires give up the ghost in a metal crane. But an amazing vocalist, uh, charming, funny, good-looking, clean-cut, you know, did right place, right time, right abilities, and amazing. <laughs> and even Ringo Starr, uh, up for the award of the worst husband in the known universe, but pretty witty, pretty witty. <laughs> it's the thing, when they first came to America, some reporter says to... Ringo Starr, what do you call that haircut? Arthur. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny. Myself. So, yeah, why is there such a wide talent distribution? It's really, really frustrating for people. It's really frustrating for people, and it's maddening because nobody tells them the truth, that the only reason we have a civilization or any wealth at all is because of talent distributions that are largely incomprehensible to us. Largely Like, we're not evolved for the unbelievable differences in ability that we have. I mean, if you look at apes, right? Look at apes. Okay, so there's a stronger ape and there's a weaker ape, right? Maybe the stronger ape is 50% stronger than the weaker ape. There's tall and short. Maybe the, you know, there's four inches or five inches in, in difference between the height. And these are all differences of degree. But... There's no exponential. There's no incomprehensibility. You understand? And, and for human beings, like we are absolutely incomprehensible to each other. You know, I, I put on the headphones, right? I listened to, I don't know, what was I listening to the other day? Oh, yeah, I was listening to um, the Rainbow Room, 1970-something, 77, I think, 73. It was the Rainbow Room. It was a Queen performance, and there's a live version of See What a Fool I've Been, which is a Brian May composition, uh, a blues a blues version. And I tried singing along, and it's like, oh, my God. That's like what, what Freddie Mercury was doing when he was that young was amazing. Or I was listening to Babe, I'm Going to Leave You today. I was doing some paperwork. I was listening to Babe, I'm Going to Leave You by a 20-year-old Robert Plant recorded in Germany, I think it was. And, you know, shrieking like from the depths of hell, they are a truly satanic band, in my opinion, but some great music came out of it. 
And if you, you try and sing along with these people, and unless you are the one in a million person with that, you know, God-gifted voice, you can't do it. You know, if you're just Sammy Hagar singing along to the radio and people are like, hey, that's really good. And he does have a good voice, right? Or um, what's it, Chris, the guy from uh, Black Hole Sun, Chris, whatever his name was, also an incredible voice, right? He started as a drummer, barely even knew he could sing, right? Just opens up his mouth. Or Colin James, an amazing blues, gravelly voice vocalist. Anyway, so they're not, you know, 50% better singers. <laughs> they're like, it's a whole other planet. It's like we're not even the same species. Not even the same species. I mean, I remember um, working with someone in business and bringing to them a big complex thing. It doesn't really matter what. Big complex thing, right? And they've been working in this area for a long time. Big complex thing. Showed it to them. Big giant screen. Two screens worth of data. And they looked and said, oh, that one's wrong. <laughs> Just look at it. Boom. Or Frank Sinatra when he used to record with like 300-piece orchestra or whatever it was, right? Like one oboe would be a semitone off in the back. He'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I think we got a stranger in the back there. And he would hear it. He'd pick it out. Pick it out. That is eerie. Like the people who've got perfect pitch or the people who can rain man count pickup sticks while they're in the air before they hit the ground. Like the abilities that we have as human beings are incomprehensible to each other. I mean, when I was in my teens, I started a garage band, wrote some songs and all of that. I quickly realized that's not for me. I look at people who I, I tried to learn guitar. I, I did some piano. I played violin for 10 years. I was not too bad at that. But, you know, playing, playing guitar, I've got these sort of semi-stubby fingers. doesn't do me much good. But playing guitar, I'm like, I, I knew, I knew, I knew. When I first started, it's like, yeah, that's not, that, that's not for me. <laughs> I'm not, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't really get it. And, you know, philosophy, I started reading. It's like, boom, got it. Yeah, oh, oh my God. I like this universe is opening, brain traveling at the speed of light. That's my thing, man. That's my groove. And piano, eh, it's all right. Uh, but yeah, just music. I like to sing along with things from time to time. But holy crap, like, the people who really get it, like just like, you know, look, look at young Elvis, the way he just moves like a tuning fork, vibrating to the music, everything, his whole body is, you could look at that with Prince when he would move, like his whole body, and of course he wrecked his whole body with dance moves and ended up addicted to opiates, which killed him, but holy crap, like the, the, the differences are beyond belief, high skill, low skill. Um, when I worked in, in the software field, we had salespeople, and some of the salespeople could walk into a room and sell a half a million dollar system. And other people could struggle for months to sell a $20,000 system. Why? Nobody knows. Nobody knows why. Why is it? Do you know people in your life? Tell me, tell me the unusual skills of the people in your life. Like the stuff where you're just like, like plants. My wife is like magic with plants. Like they, they, she walks past and they just perk up, you know, <laughs> and she just has to be near them. She's got like the Jesus healing touch with plants. You know, I don't get it. <laughs> she does it even with vegetables. It's incredible. My, my daughter, when she plays these kind of goofy, chasey games, like she plays Among Us, she plays Goose Goose Duck, and I play along. Um, and and she, 
she just knows. She knows who the imposter is. She knows who, who's, who the killer is. And, and she just like, and I ask her how she knows. And she's like, oh, it's just a feeling. And then I ask her because I want her to understand like her own instincts and intuition. And she's like, oh, well, so-and-so was here and they said this. And then this person went over here. But then this person was here, but they couldn't have been this role because they'd been there. But like you're through this whole web. And I'm just like, that's, I, I, I can't do, like I, I cannot do, I cannot do that. Uh, her spatial reasoning is off the charts. And, and I just, I don't hold that in my head. Now, you want me to hold a huge argument, no problem. Like, that just stacks to me a, like a card shop and a deck shuffle. And you must know people who just, like, just have these wild abilities. And because we have to, like, we evolved for narrower, much narrower differences. We evolved for much narrower differences. Now there were some. There were some people who were fantastic swordsmen, and and they would be. There were people who were, of course, fantastic singers, but they were still kind of limited, at least up until the modern age. If you were, the, I was, I've often thought this before. Like if you were the best singer in the village or or the town, you'd gain some notoriety. You may not even be able to do it full time, but nobody would remember. I think of all of the glorious singers who've been lost to history because there wasn't any recording equipment around. And, man, uh, even Caruso, um, some of the recordings are not, not that great. Or Maria Callas. Well, she had to really work at it. She was halfway towards uh, um, the, uh, <laughs> the Orson Welles' wife in that movie where he tries to make her sing. So we are evolved for, for much narrower differences. You know, if, if you look at, you know, Let's say I ran a 100-meter race, right? Now, I'm not much of a sprinter because I'm in my mid-50s almost, right? But I could probably do it in half the time as a very good sprinter, right? Okay, so he's, tw he's twice as good or whatever you want to say. He's twice as – okay, so twice as good. Is Paul McCartney twice as good a singer? No, it's not even – like, it's not even the same classification. Is he five times as good a songwriter as I was? There's no – like, there's no comparison. There's no comparison, and so we are evolved for a narrow range of differences. And yet, in a meritocracy, the differences are incomprehensible to us. You know, put on the headphones, go listen to a song like Cool Cat off Queen's Hot Space album, the second side of the album, which is halfway decent, not the first trash disco stuff, but... He does this incredible falsetto. Oh, go, go listen to uh, Rock and Rio live. They do this medley. Uh, is it a medley? Impromptu, I think it's called. And it's Freddie Mercury doing incredible falsetto vocalizations that are made up on the spot to a background of semi-jazz music. I can't do that. No, no one alive can do that as far as I can tell. Freddie Mercury can do it and doesn't even doesn't even notice how difficult it is if you listen to uh, somebody to love he does this like scale down and he ripped it off live he i think i've done it once in my life correctly when i was singing along with it he does a scale down of semitones it just wobbles down just wobbles down right like like uh, sam cook does this uh this uh up and then down he's reverse english i think it's called perfectly effortlessly does it live too and even George Michael, the great singer, when he was doing Somebody to Love 
live at the Freddie Mercury tribute concert when he did somebody too. He got the falsetto, but then he just let the crowd do that scale down. Love. And, and, and he didn't try. <laughs> but Freddie Mercury just rips it off effortlessly. How? 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 I don't know. Nobody knows. It's impossible to know. It's impossible to know. And so the difference is, I mean, even if you look at, at Live Aid, which I watched once the whole, the whole way through, Live Aid is the, the very top tier of all of the performers in the rock and pop world at the time. And Queen still like completely blew away the show. I mean, the guys like Mussolini out there commanding the crowd in Radio Gaga, right? Freddie Mercury. There's no, there is like, even at the very top tier, there's a level of, of quality and commandment that's absolutely incomprehensible. I mean, everybody brought their A game, but Queen was, and in particular, Freddie Mercury was completely off the charts as far as all of that went, right? It's considered to be one of the greatest 20 minutes in, in music history, at least modern, right? So the reason that this comes up is that you understand that, that biologically we're wired to have linear differences, differences of degree, but the differences of kind, we don't process that well. How is it possible that somebody can be 10 times a better farmer than somebody else? They both read the same books. They both went to the same college. They both work hard. But somewhat, like you just you have an instinct, you have an ability, it comes easy to you, it's natural, it's this, it's that, whatever, right? Like Brian Adams got my first real six string at the five and dime, played it to my fingers bled, right? Like I, I like guitar, but I didn't play it to my fingers bled, right? I learned like three songs and I was like, yeah, this is not, I'd rather go read philosophy. <laughs> this, is not, this is not leveraging my natural talents, right? So we are wired to deal with tiny differences relative to the differences that emerge in a meritocracy. We're, we're wired for, oh, that guy down the road is like 50% richer or twice as rich. We're not, we're not, I make minimum wage and this guy has a hundred zillion dollars. Like we don't, we don't process very easily. That It's incomprehensible to us. And the other thing too, if someone's bigger and stronger, they look that. They look bigger and stronger. But head size is very loosely correlated to IQ. And so the person with the blindingly high IQ or the blinding abilities in some various area, they look like you and I. If, if some guy is twice as strong as me, he's going to be really big and bulky and muscular and, and whatever, right? If he's twice as, well, not twice, if he's a foot taller than me, you can see that. Whereas the brain stuff, it's like, how is it that, that somebody with the same size head is infinitely, for all intents and purposes, infinitely more intelligent than I am, simply because they can do so many things that I simply can't do? How is that? We, we, can't, we can't process that. Now, we used to be able to process that with God-given. It's a God-given talent, touched by God. God gave him that, like you, you, you are expressing. So we would say, okay, why is somebody so good at something? Well, the divine touched them. And because the divine is infinite and perfect and all-powerful, it can easily create some glorious ability in, in a mere mortal, right? Now, we've lost that. And when you lose that explanation, why is this person so good at something? You know, why? You know, Shakespeare, my God, look at Shakespeare, right? Look, I tried writing a Shakespeare play when I was in theater school, just as I tried every other. I tried writing a Oscar Wilde play, style play, and all of that. And, I mean, it's, it's impossible. I mean, of course it's impossible. I mean, he's the greatest writer that has ever lived. is Shakespeare. And why? How? How? 
Why him? Why then? You know, he, he looks like a sad, rained-on pirate for the most part. How, how is it possible? <laughs> how is it possible? Nobody, nobody knows. Christopher Marlowe, mostly forgotten. I mean, I know Salieri and Mozart did have much more of a collaboration than is portrayed in the, uh, the movie. But why is it that Mozart is... Well, this is what Christopher... I think it was Christopher Marlowe who said this when he was asked, you know, who's the better writer? Um, he said, well, I am for this time. Shakespeare is for all time. He's for everyone, all time. Or, or when somebody said to Eric Clapton, how does it feel to be the best guitarist in the world? And he said, I don't know, you'd have to go ask Prince. Prince was a staggeringly good guitarist. And if you want to watch him uh, at his, his peak in some ways, you would look at um, While My Guitar Gently Weeps when he played with um, uh, Jeff Lynne and Tom Petty and George Harrison's son. And he just does this solo that um, basically there's a <laughs> the guitar orgasms to God at the end. Uh, it's just incredible. So how is this possible? I mean, the guy walks, talks, eats, and breathes music. There are very few musicians. There's two that I know of who play significant, well, three, I guess, significant number of instruments at the master level, each one of them. Of course, Stevie Wonder is one. Everything he touches is like scary musical genius, right? Uh, Prince was another. Uh, I do remember going to see Harry Connick many years ago, and he played every instrument, though, of course, not at the master level, but he's a very talented guy. He acts, he's in movies, he's a good singer, he's an incredible pianist, uh, he plays so many different instruments. So how is that possible? <laughs> because it just, he just, I mean, again, I don't want, again, with me in philosophy, I think I have, uh, you know, the touched by the gods kind of thing, I think I have that ability, and we don't, we can't, we can't process that shit. Like, we have not evolved to the point where we can process and even remotely understand these unbelievable differences in humanity. And so, to me, like, the, the Vosh stuff, the communist stuff, the socialist stuff, the resentment stuff, is like, why not me? And the Christian answer is, well, they were touched by God for reasons we can't fathom, so lay off. And they're like, okay, well, he was touched by God. I wasn't. I have a more humble support structure to go or whatever, right? And we can't... Pro so the lizard brain, the monkey brain, the, the, the mammal brain can't even remotely comprehend these unbelievable differences. There are no monkeys that are a thousand times better at getting fruit than other monkeys. You understand? There are no whales that can jump 5,000 times higher. But there are people who are billions of times richer. And we can't... It takes a certain amount of just teeth-gritting abstraction to process these unbelievable differences between human beings. And to just, when you, when you lose God, it's like someone stole something from me. Because with Christianity, you say, oh, God touched this person. It's a God-given talent. You've heard this a million times, right? So you have an explanation, it's God's choice. God is all good. He made the choice for a reason. There's something positive that's coming out of it, some good thing that came out of it. Whew! You know, okay, fine. I, it's annoying a little bit, but it's faith allows me to accept it. But when you take away God, what's left is this blind, dumb mammal rage and resentment. How could this guy, how could this guy be this rich and not share? Because, of course, in the monkey world, the fruit goes bad, right? 
there's no point picking a thousand bananas for yourself and not sharing it with the tribe because the fruit goes bad. This is true in primitive societies as a whole. Why would you catch a thousand fish and leave them to rot in your boat when you could be feeding the village? If you're that good a fisherman, share it. Understandable. Understandable. Because there's no capitalism. There's no capital investment. There's no efficiency. And this proletariat rage at those touched by nature to be productive geniuses, those touched by the happenstance of nature to have the incomprehensible gift of productive genius or genius in any kind. They look like us. They walk like us. They talk like us as a whole. They, they themselves can't explain. Yeah, I just did an interview today. I blew the guy away with a couple of speeches, and he was like, how do you do that? I'm like, damned if I know. <laughs> I hate to say it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't say, oh, well, you've trained, you've trained a lot. Well, sure, yeah, but that's like saying, uh, why does someone take a lot of singing lessons? Because they've already got a great voice. Why does somebody take runway lessons? Because, you know, they've got a nice figure and a nice face. So I do this because I'm good at it. I'm not good at this because I do it. Because the moment I started doing it, I was very good, right? I mean, the, the moment I started on the debating club in university, I just, oh, there's a debating club. I, I'm curious. I should try it out. And I marched. I was like, I think, sixth or seventh in Canada and with people who'd been like graduate students and all of that. And I just wandered in and I was amazing at it, right? So then I'm like, oh, I should really work on this, right? I should really keep focusing on this, right? Because I've already got a natural ability. How does it happen? I don't know. I wasn't even planning on talking about any of this tonight. The, the thoughts popped in my head because somebody mentioned Vosh <laughs> and his flat boot girlfriend. <laughs> so yeah, somebody mentioned Vosh, and I'm like, all of this just rises up. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know. Any more than you sit there and Freddie Mercury wrote a crazy little thing called love sitting in a bathtub in Munich. He's like, oh, I must write this down. <laughs> right. Where does it come from? Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. I mean, if you knew where it came from, you just keep doing it again, and they can't, right? Day at the races, night of the opera, peak of their career. After that, it was like singing about cats and <laughs> a movie theater that's half empty. Bijou. Oh, Lord. So where does all this come from in me? Well, yeah, I think about a lot of things, but, you know, I'll tell you sometimes, I'll just turn on the microphone, and I have no idea what I'm going to talk, and I just start talking, and then these ideas come up that give me goosebumps. I can't tell you where they come from. I can't. I can't. Now, if I were religious, I could tell you a cover story as to cover up my ignorance of where they come from. Where do they come from? Where do the analogies that I come up with effortlessly and, and are very accurate and compelling, where do they come from? I don't know. I mean, a lot of writers say they are simply transcribing. They're not actually writing. They're just transcribing. Like the guy who wrote... Um, Goodbye, Mr. Chips. It's like three days. He's just bored in a hotel. Just <coughs> out it comes, right? Can you do that again? Eh, I don't think he ever did, right? don't think he ever did. So what's annoying is that even the people with these abilities can't tell you how they operate or where they come from or what happens. And this is something Socrates noticed many years ago, that he would go to the poets and ask them about all the insights and wisdom that they had, and they didn't have a clue where it came from or what it meant. Or how they produced it. No clue. No clue. And this is why people who are like, I'm going to teach you how to write songs. It's like, bet you're not. <laughs> bet you're not. Because you don't have the songs bubbling up in you already. So what Sam Cooke said before he died, he said, I got a million of these songs. Then he wrote his masterpiece to me, at least, Change Gonna Come, in response to Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind. 
because he said, why, why are we not writing songs of deep power and meaning? He says, it's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die. I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. Powerful stuff, man, for a Christian person. And uh, then he found out because he died. He died uh, very shortly after that. So the communist stuff, is it's, it's the deep lizard mammal brain saying there's no way. There's no way somebody could be that wealthy legitimately. There's no way somebody could be that, pro that productive a genius that they run a company of 10,000 people and make 10,000 times more. There's no way. That's the monkey brain saying there's no way that a monkey can be 10,000 times stronger than another monkey. Or a dolphin could be 10,000 times longer than another dolphin. Like it doesn't. It's not possible. Therefore, it must be theft. It's a very primitive state of mind, and because, of its, because it's so primitive, it has so much power. So, sorry about that long speech. I hope that, I hope that helps. Actually, I'm not going to apologize. What am I sorry for? It's good stuff. All right. Life is pretty much back to normal COVID-wise in the UK, at least in my area. Well, aren't they now? I think the Biden administration has approved the use of... Uh, booster shots for all population going forward. And I think they did it for the immunocompromised and the whatever, right? But now it's, what, eight months since it all began, right? And it began kind of slowly, right? So it's eight months since it's all began. And, of course, the vaccine was touted as a vaccine. And you know how vaccines work, by the by. The by. And as a whole, the vaccines work with the regular old vaccines. It's like you get a shot, you're good for life. I never had to have another smallpox shot. I don't think I ever had to have another tetanus shot or whatever else I had when I was a kid. So everyone's like, hey, it's a vaccine. You get your vaccine, you're good, man. And now it's like, ooh, yeah, well, it's eight months, so uh, yeah, I'm afraid you're going to need another one. And you know what that means, right? That's just another couple of billion dollars for the pharmaceutical companies, more power for the government to restrict people who don't get the vaccinations, and it's, uh, it's a continual treadmill. It's a continue, and of course, the studies, even the two and a half months that they did on a small subsection of people who weren't at high risk, the small subsection of studies they did was, I mean, I view the double shot, like the two weeks apart shot as a single dose. So a single dose. What happens if it becomes the flu shot and you get one every eight months? What, what, what does that do to people? Nobody knows. But I will say this. So, I mean, I do want to point out something that I think is important. Um, I did a lot of reading, which in no way indicates any competence in the subject matter, but I'll just read it and, and pass along what I've read without any claim of expertise or correctness. But I did read a lot on the infertility stuff, and it does appear that the infertility study came out of Japan. It wasn't some secret Pfizer thing, and it was in mice, not people. It was about the lipid or the lipid shell, not the actual spikes, and the gathering in the uterus and in the bone marrow was only the lipid, not the actual spikes, and it doesn't appear to be gathering that much in the uh, uterus, which was a big concern. And there was a guy who said, oh, but there's a placenta which has a certain spike protein, and what if it attacks that, and there hasn't been any evidence? What I've read, what I've read, again, I can't pass any judgment on this stuff. I don't know what is true. But I also do get the feeling, I just get the feeling, 
you know, I have a pretty good finger on the pulse of the planet. I get a lot of emails and stuff like that, right? So I would say that if there were significant or even mild fertility issues after eight months, you know, people do try to get pregnant, right? There would be, like, there aren't... Um, like they aren't the aren't uh, the doctor saying, hey, where are all my pregnant patients? There aren't all the people saying, oh, my God, I had another miscarriage. Social media still got a lot of information spreading capacity. I'm just not seeing, I'm just not seeing the infertility threats that some people have claimed. I'm just, I'm not seeing it show up. I'm not seeing it in the data. And again, I don't know. I'm just telling you where I'm at, at, at a personal level. I don't see that and that doesn't mean anything other than sharing my own particular subjective thoughts uh hey steph why did michaela peterson in 2018 travel to romania from canada to see tate while she was married with a newborn yeah don't get me wrong i love gossip as much as the next aunt but uh i think we all know the answer to that right all right let's see here Uh, where will Amber get 50 million from when all her wealth probably only comes from Johnny? Well, I don't know. So Johnny Depp, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty tragic story. I mean, the guy, the guy was he's complained about, you know, being on drugs and his mother was pretty dysfunctional. He was on drugs, I think, in his early teens. And I mean, it's been a mess, complete mess for him. He made, what, like a billion dollars or something like that. And I think a lot of it has vanished into some very questionable behavior that I think he's also suing people for. And he's got what he owes an unbelievable amount of money to the IRS because, and it's kind of a weird thing to me that the law goes this way, that you say, okay, to your accountants, you say, oh, you pay my taxes. And they're like, yep, we pay your taxes. And then if they haven't paid your taxes, I think it would be, the, it shouldn't it be the accountants and the lawyers who pay rather than you? That, that to me would be, um, I mean, we rely on other people's expertise, right? If you say to the doctor, give me this medicine, and the doctor gives you the wrong medicine, you sue the doctor. Again, I'm sure he's suing for this kind of stuff. So he owes a huge amount of money to the IRS, and uh, he's kind of unemployable because people are kind of grossed out, like his charisma and Q factor. Because, I mean, he was an incredibly good-looking guy when he was younger. Now he looks like a bit like a homeless old tire with glasses, but uh, when he was younger, it's just stunning. All right. Uh, let's see here. Boom, boom, boom. The movie Office Space was actually very good. All right. Uh, hey, Steph, any thoughts on how to talk to my wife about all the terrible things coming so she knows but doesn't get too demoralized? Um, I think if you feel that you need to protect your wife from the truth, either you married the wrong person or you're underestimating her. So I would say go on. Look, okay, here's, here's the 101 on what's to come. Yeah, tough times are coming. We, we know that. We're tough times are coming, and, and we've all worked very hard to prevent them, and uh, people have chosen otherwise. Okay, so be it. So be it. But here's the thing. I said this years ago. I'm not sure that human beings are very good at surviving their own success. And what I mean by that is when we get wealthy, when we get comfortable, when reality is shielded from us through fiat currency and, and debt and so on, we get uh, weak, we get soft, we get lazy, and we feel frail, we feel fragile. Like, why is it that 
so many women have so many mental illnesses in the West. Now, you can say well, it was partly feminism and the welfare state and uh, trying to be like uh, some Steven Tyler hopped up rock star of hypersexuality, which destroys their souls or whatever. You can say all of that, and I, I get all of that. Those are certainly factors. But why is it that women, when women have the most rights, the most opportunities, the most freedoms than they've ever had before in history, that they're so neurotic and ang anxious and depressed and and self-cutting and anorexic and and whatever right why is it why is it when women used to die in childbirth when when half of women's children used to die before the age of five and women found the strength to be you know robust and and positive and strong and like why is it that when women have this degree of comfort they fall apart because Success weakens us. Now, I think in a free society, a stateless society is a different matter, but you know, in the way that it is right now, women had almost infinitely greater adversity throughout history and were much tougher mentally. People now are, are so frail, they hear a bad word and they fall apart. They get hysterical. They, you know, like I saw some a video of some woman in in an elevator and someone came in and I don't think that person was wearing a mask and she was like screaming like somebody had loosed a, a deadly python in an enclosed area like and it's like just if you're that worried just get out of the elevator like I can't even go by like just hysterical just hysterical and I remember a, a, a woman I knew uh had her, uh, I did some work with her together, and we were selling it. And her, uh, we, her address was was on the internet, and she just like, she knew that. But then, like a week or later, she's like, I haven't been able to sleep. My address is on the internet. I can't handle it. You've got to take it down. We've got to change everything. And I'm like, this was like in 1995 or something like that, with like four people on the internet, and but this level of Mindy Kaling. Uh, it was in some, oh, I can't even remember it, some sitcom or whatever. And I watched a couple of episodes out of curiosity. I didn't find it too too funny. But anyway, uh, she's a woman who lives in, in the big city. She's a single woman. And anytime anything surprising happens, she's like, axe murderer! You know, she's like, she grabs a knife or something because she's that jumpy about being being killed or, or raped or, or abducted or whatever it is, right? Uh, or there's a meme I saw the other day where this woman is is in her car by a gas station and she's like oh this guy is mad sketchy and this is guy coming by and she rolls up his window and he's like don't roll up your window i'm not gonna kidnap you you're butt ugly <laughs> but she's like i'm gonna get kidnapped i i'm i'm like and women survive starvation and, and war and plague pestilence political instability of every kind and I, I mean, this is why, like, I have these two wild poles of femininity in my brain, just based upon my, my upbringing. So my mother was this, like, half, well, completely neurotic and, and hysterical and, and violent, uh, so close to Blanche Dubois, it's creepy, right? And, and this was sort of hysterical, like watching a really hysterical gay man imitate a woman. Like, this was a hysterical, exaggerated distortion of femininity, and that's sort of the one pole that I saw growing up. And then I have these aunts on my father's side who were solid and sensible and tough and 
And, you know, they did a little bit of makeup, they went to church, and they were great members of their community and very charitable, and they baked pies for people whose uh, mothers had died, and, and they were just, they raised children, and they, you know, baby on the hip, laundry on the uh, in arm, and, and just solid, sensible, productive grounded women and that's you know these all these this sort of and now my mom was very slender and very beautiful and so that kind of ate her up right beauty is the kind of thing you think it's feeding you but it's actually eating you and these other women were you know plain and and solid and sensible and like like in 1984 they're looking down uh, Winston Smith and Julia looking down and there's this woman humming and singing a song and he says uh she is beautiful and Julia says she's like a meter across the hips easily and he's like that's her style of beauty. <laughs> Solid, sensible uh, uh, women. And that was what I kind of uh, grew up with. So what I'm saying is that we don't know what kind of strength we're capable of until we're under adversity. And adversity may not be the worst thing in the world for us, right? We all dread it. Oh, my gosh, adversity is for... It may not be the worst thing. I think a lot of people who feel crazy in the hothouse insanity of fiat-fueled psychosis known as modern culture. A lot of people who feel crazy in this hyper-cold, nobody loses, nobody gets challenged, nobody can be upset, when they face real adversity, I think they will feel sane probably for the first time in their lives. I don't want that level of adversity to come. I've been fighting against it. But we try to find the positives where we can. That right now... We're fighting each other because the Marxists and the leftists are all programming us to race and gender, all programming us to fight each other, right? But when adversity comes, you would actually be kind of surprised at how well people can work together. Certainly for women, it will be a different planet when adversity comes. And I think while they will regret it, as we all will, and it will be tough as it will be, and some will find it too tough, but I think a lot of people will feel a relief that the Band-Aid is off the struggle is upon them. The challenges are upon them. They can let go of all this neurotic bullshit. They can't be triggered anymore by words because they actually have to deal with real challenges in the world. And I think for a lot of people, it will be certainly it will be a return to our natural state. A natural state is scarcity, war, plunder, problems, right? That's the natural state of humanity, the natural state of the world. This brief respite sort of renaissance onwards and, and particularly, you know, 19th century onwards, this brief respite from unbelievable levels of want has put us in a rather hothouse environment. And I think a lot of people will feel a lot saner when they have real challenges because nothing drives you more mad than making up challenges. You know, those restless people who just, they, they just pick a fight because they're bored, right? They just come up with challenges because they're bored. All right. First thing to do with coronavirus is lie about where it came from so we don't create racism. Yeah, I mean, there are studies in Canada here that what they call racialized communities, which I think are um, maybe Indian uh, uh, or other communities that uh, coronavirus was really centered in those. Now, they say this is all racism, but I don't know. Lots of different ways to look at that, right? I remember when COVID-19 was new, the media didn't give it much concern. You took it very seriously and were right. Wish I'd listened to you more. Yeah. Yeah, I was sorry to be right about that. And um, I mean, that's what I referred to it as, as, as China's Chernobyl. And Chernobyl, for those of you who don't know, like almost destroyed Europe. Like if, if, the, if the radioactive water had gotten into the groundwater, like significant portions of Europe would have been completely destroyed and uninhabitable and 
how many deaths would have occurred, who knows, right? But it would have been a huge amount. So China, China's Chernobyl wasn't, oh, that was a near call. That was a near miss. It was like, that's as risky as it was, right? Let's see here. Played sports for six years in high school, and yeah, you get real quick that there is a difference in abilities. Well, that's the thing, too. Uh, one of the reasons that women don't get differences in abilities is there are fewer differences of abilities with women. Now, there are differences of abilities with regards to beauty, but beauty is unearned and unjust and all that kind of stuff. But at least you can see it. You can't see, like you look at Steve Jobs next to some guy who looks like Steve Jobs. They look the same. <laughs> they look the same. Not as, as much the same as the Winklevoss twins, twins, but that's another matter, right? They look just like, they look the same. But the productive genius is incomprehensibly different. And then the fact that we can't comprehend this is the result, is the roots of so many frustrations and rages. Chris Cornell, that's the singer. Thank you very much. Sorry, I'm a little bit further back. But yeah, if you if you play sports, you you very quickly get just how talented some people are. Like almost innately. Almost innately. All right. Let's see here. I'm a grim reaper with plants. <laughs> it's really sad, isn't it? Right. I remember I went on a date with a Chinese girl once and she bought me a plant, <laughs> which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, is he a profession in interrogation? No, she actually wants to, uh, she wants to set women straight, <laughs> apparently. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, the green thumb, they call it a green thumb. How, how is it some people are so good with plants? Right? I can draw, it's a talent, but requires a ton of practice. Well, but here's the thing, right? So the practice happens because you can see improvement. Right? Like I played guitar for a couple of months. I barely got any better. Didn't really understand it. I, I, you know, even la last year or the year before, I tried piano. My wife is, is teaching her. Well, she's relearning piano. She knew it when she was younger, and she sounds wonderful. I'm like, oh, I'd love to do a little piano. And so I did some, some scales and did that. And I sort of vaguely remembered it from when I was a kid. And it's just like, eh, I don't, I don't feel the progress. And I don't feel the deep comprehension. So I'm kind of swimming against the current here. And, and, and when you are really good at something, as I am at a couple of things, you know the difference. You know the difference when you're really good at something and something that you have to really struggle for. See, some people are just really, really good at math. Math is something that never came particularly easy to me. And, um, you know, I'm better at some things. Some people aren't uh, as, as good at things. And so one of the reasons why the people end up very good is they see such improvement from talent, from, from, from practice, that they just keep practicing. It's not like they became good through practice. It's that practice made them so much better that they wanted to keep doing it because they could measure the improvement and feel it very deeply. Uh, recording allows artists to have more exposure to greatness and to push themselves farther than they might go on their own. Yeah, for sure. It's Freddie's giant overbite. Yeah, he had extra teeth, right? And he never wanted to get his teeth fixed because he thought it might affect his voice, which he might have, right? Elvis is the one who died on the toilet, but it wasn't just drugs and obesity he had his whole family had significant health issues and he had seemed to have inherited those did Steph just compare being a world-class performer and songwriter to being good at among us you know if, if you have trouble understanding the concepts and you need to reduce them to stupid comparisons like that I don't know what to tell you um my daughter is 12 and the things that she's good at she's incredibly good at she is not a world-class performer and songwriter because she's 12, right? So if, if you have trouble 
understanding that I'm talking about excellence that I have personally experienced and seeing it in my family. If you have trouble understanding that, this is probably not the show for you. And, you know, just just go and click on um, Perfectly Cut Screams and, and go watch one of those shows or... Uh, maybe some Reddit stories or, or something like that, which go boo and, and scare you when you're not expecting it. That probably would be uh, a little better if you don't really get what I'm saying. I'm pretty good at explaining things, so it's probably not me. And <laughs> nobody else is asking these questions. Uh, how is Brian Stelter such an incredible liar every day on CNN? Very good at lying. Well, uh, clearly he's a solar-powered lying machine. So he's... um. He's a mammal, right? The mammals and the angels, right? Mammals and the angels. The angels are the people who have universal moral standards and attempt or strive to maintain and achieve them, right? Thou shalt not bear false witness. So when you do lie, you feel bad. But mammals, subterfuge, falsehood, faking, deking, they're no more troubled by that. You know, if, if you're a football player and you're trying to get a touchdown and you run in a particular direction, and then you change direction, then you change back, and you fake, and you deek. Are you lying? Hey, man, you were going in one direction. Now you keep changing it. Stop. Make up your mind. It's confusing. It's supposed to be confusing because your goal is to touchdown. Changing direction, changing course when your goal is to touchdown, perfectly valid. In fact, if you didn't do that, you wouldn't be a good football player. Changing the narrative, reversing the narrative when your goal is power. When your goal is power, just like your goal is to touchdown, Changing direction, lying, reversing yourself, saying, oh, Trump is totally a tool of the, the Russians and the election was stolen, and then, then immediately switching to someone else when that doesn't pan out. I mean, that's, that's deking. That's twisting and turning because your goal is power. You have to understand, you, expecting them to adhere to the angel side of abstract honesty as a virtue that they're committed to is like expecting a rabbit to run in a straight line slowly when she's being chased by wolves. Of course, she's going to twist and turn and reverse direction because the only advantage she has is a lack of momentum compared to the bulk of the wolf. So they'll, yeah, the goal is power over you, over me. So they will make up stuff. They'll see what sticks. They'll attack Kavanaugh. They'll defend Cuomo. They'll just do anything. They don't care. The goal is power. You don't run in a straight line if you want a touchdown and you don't have an abstract adherence to the truth if you want to gain power. And for the, for the angels to look at the mammals and say, well, where, where are their abstract ethics, <laughs> you know? So, doesn't... I don't know, Steph. Intelligence is easily told from the look of the face. Well, you should put that to the test, and you should look up if there are any studies about whether IQ can be reliably guessed from the look of the face. Stefan seems really incredulous at how people can be world-class. The answer is a combination of natural talent, upbringing, and practice. Well, that's this evening's stupid answer. Sorry, I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but it just is. Natural talent, upbringing, and practice. That's just a bunch of words. You haven't explained anything. <laughs> it's a mystery, but with other words. What is natural talent? Where does it come from? Upbringing? No, it's not upbringing. It's not upbringing. I mean, there are famous musicians who have brothers and sisters who aren't famous musicians. It's not upbringing. And, and the practice, as I said, the practice and the natural talent, natural talent doesn't explain anything. Why are people good at things? Well, I'm going to use a word or a phrase that means good at things 
and say, why are people good at things? Because they're good at things. Well, I don't want to say that because that's an obvious tautology. So I'm going to define being good at things as having natural talent and say, why are people good at things? Because they have natural talent. What's natural talent? Oh, that's just being good at things. We haven't added anything to understanding anything. <laughs> you just rephrased it in a, in a different way. It's, it's a taut complete tautology. And practice, as I've said, is because of the natural talent you want to practice more. So, and I'm not incredulous at how people can be world-class. You understand, I am world-class. I'm not incredulous at how people can be world-class. I run the world's biggest philosophy show, the biggest philosophy conversation the world has ever seen in all of human history. <laughs> so I am not incredulous at how people can be world-class. I'm saying that most people are. So you just want to, I'm sorry, if you want to chew up the chat, you got to up your game. All right. Uh, was forced to study Shakespeare at school. Hated him. Oh, yeah, you shouldn't study Shakespeare when you're a teenager. That's complete nonsense. You shouldn't. You don't have the um, life experience to, to appreciate Shakespeare when you're uh, a teenager. And people say, ah, oh, well, Shakespeare went to government schools. Yes, he did, but only 12 weeks a year. So, All right, let's see here. How is the totalitarianism in Australia? Oh, it's crazy. So I have some guy get uh, dragged off to a detention camp because he was suspected of being COVID. Prince is a complete ripoff of Michael Jackson. I don't um I don't follow that at all. I don't follow that at all. You gotta watch George Benson singing along with his insane guitar solos. Oh yeah, what's it George the Ghetto? Um amazing stuff. Yeah, amazing stuff. Steve Vai, yeah, great guitarist, right? And and a good actor too, didn't he show up in um The Sopranos, right? All right. Um, Wayne Gretzky and Tiger Woods. <laughs> yeah, so I remember um, when I was dating um, a Zoroastrian woman, and a woman from India, uh, I just casually mentioned as a point of conversation that uh, Wayne Gretzky, and this is, you know, my, many years ago, but Wayne Gretzky is the, is the best athlete in the history of the world. Across all fields, he is the best athlete in the history of the world because he is so far ahead of number two, right? There's Wayne Gretzky, and then there's, like, number two. And he is the furthest ahead, or at least he was. He's the furthest ahead of number two of any sportsman, in a sportswoman in any field, anywhere. He is the very best athlete the world has ever produced. And he looks like he should be half drunk, knocking back a decaf and a crawler in... <laughs> Tim Hortons at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? But, um, yeah, amazing stuff. Tiger Woods, again, he's great at driving a golf ball, not great at driving anything else, it would appear. But, yeah, his, his father had... He was on TV at the age of two. It's that, that level of ability, right? So. Steph would leave Alex Jones speechless when Steph would go on Infowars. He was a good guy to play with as far as that goes. Let's see here. Darwin apparently rode a few good for a few good hours in the morning, and the rest of his day was pretty easygoing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, social sciences are based on Marxism rather than Darwinism. I think that's probably quite true. Take the Jesus pill, Steph. I don't. Uh, I don't follow truth with regards. I mean, I'll tell you this. I mean, it is becoming harder and harder to explain my life and my fortune without reference to the divine. I will tell you that straight up. But I'll do another show on that at some point. 
Well, yeah, and this is back to the debate with Vosh, right? I mean, Vosh is like, well, the, uh, the worker should control the means of production, but he didn't rent out his studio or didn't hand out his studio and YouTube channel to other people, right? This is always when I look at somebody's arguments or views or ideas, I'm like, okay, have you implemented this personally? Have you implemented this personally? Okay. Um, there's no private property. You don't own yourself. You don't own the products of your labor. Okay. So if somebody wants your kidney, will you give it to them? If I say, I, you know, I will find you a kidney donor. Will you? No. Okay. I, I just want to know, have you done it in your life? Did, like if you were very good in school and you were a leftist, did you donate your marks to less competent people? Marxism that way. Did you donate your mind? Did you take 20 points of your marks? Did you go from a 90 to a 70, a 95 to a 75 and donate it to other people? Well, why not? Well, they're my marks. I earned them. And it's all bullshit, isn't it? Tetanus shots only last for a few years. Get another one if you're ever near nails outside. Is that right? I didn't know. I didn't know. But you can get it afterwards, can't you? I think you get I doubt so many Jewish folks would have gotten vaccinated if their fertility was at threat. Well, that's the thing too, right? So, you know, all the people that were like, it's a big depopulation thing. It's like, well, and then they also think the Jews run everything, and yet Israel has massive vaxes, right? And Israel is going through an upsurge, just as um, Iceland is and, and other places with vaccinations. Uh, but uh, again, it's not resulting in the same amount of catastrophic hospitalization for some people as a whole. Uh, I have depression. Let me go off my meds for two days, then interview me. Well, don't do anything without talking to your medical professional. You were right about Michaela Peterson. Her husband did say he believes to be possessed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he um, he's, he's pro-Stalin as far as I've read and as far as I understand. And um, was he a tanky? And he believes he's possessed by a demon named Igor. And she's like, well, that's, that's it. Let's, let's have a baby. Johnny Depp once said, but it was the last time an actor shot a president. That's funny. All right. The fragile wants tranquility. The anti-fragile grows from disorder and the robust doesn't care too much. All right. Thoughts on precious metals? I mean, just look up the numbers. The numbers for gold are pathetic and tragic and very much against what the Austrian economist said was going to happen. I mean, there's a reason I pushed Bitcoin for 11 years straight. Uh, so wait, Stefan is this great genius, but he can't fathom becoming competent at playing, <laughs> playing guitar. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry, dude. You are just, I'm blocking you. My God, you are just just not smart enough for this i'm sorry i'm sorry um but it is it is um it is kind of understandable that somebody who's not very smart would would understand things at such a terrible level right okay ah let's see video games are a skill hence professional gaming oh yeah i mean i used to play unreal tournament back in the day with a guy with a bunch of the guys that i worked with and uh, I, I could beat just about everyone except one guy who just always knew where I was and always knew where I was heading and always hit me from like, he would like, he would be like jump on an upward airdraft and zoom in and full sniper me. Uh, and I just, I could never, I don't think I ever once won against the guy. So yeah. And, and I, you know, 
I, I couldn't train to become as good as he is. I couldn't possibly do it. It, it. it never would have happened. It never would have happened. Uh, have you read Everything That Rises Must Converge by Flannery O'Connor? I have not. What sort of name is Flannery? <laughs> well, I, Irish, I believe. Irish. All right. Is the Kalurgi plan real? Yeah, I mean, I've read about this New World Order, Kalurgi plan, and so on. The mechanism is the state, right? The mechanism is the state. If you think, oh, some group runs everything or whatever, the mechanism is the state. I don't particularly care about the details. The mechanism for power is the state. As long as we have the state, someone's going to try and grab that power. So what the details are of whatever people's plan is to grab that power doesn't really matter to me. All right. My girlfriend just asked what I'm laughing at, Steph owning trolls. No, I don't think he was a troll. I think he was genuinely not smart. And again, I don't mean that with any disrespect. I mean, nothing disrespectful. It's not his fault, right? It's just that he's, um, you know, he's trying to give him a lecture on magic crystals at a physics conference. Like, no disrespect. It's, you know, just not, not the place, right? Not the place. All right. How many kids can you have before it's too much to handle? I don't answer Biden questions, man. All right. Which songs did Prince do? Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. It's a great, uh, great little speech. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills... Mr. Everything's going to be all right. Instead of asking him how much of your time is left, ask him how much of your mind is left. Because in this life, things are much harder than in the afterlife. In this life, you're on your own. Boom, boom. That's a great song. I used to love dancing to that when I would go to clubs as a teenager. He, he in his songs. No, that's he, he. That's, that's, that's uh, Michael Jackson, who was like the most incredible dancer. No, no, man. <laughs> Just absolutely. He was like a... A uh, muslin cloth blowing in a hurricane, just the way he moved. It's incredible. Maybe Igor the demon is good in the sack. <laughs> you know, there's uh, there are places in the world to let your demons out. All right. The Austrians did not predict that a more convenient form of gold would appear and take that market. Well, sure. But did the Austrians get behind Bitcoin? I know some did, some didn't. Uh, if Steph is the goat, who is number two? I'm afraid I can't see them from here. <laughs> Do you think we would need the government to run out of money to regain our freedoms? I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever read Mein Kampf? Well, so I read... Oh, gosh. So when I was working on my historical novel, Almost, which you should get, I'm going to keep nagging and reminding you because you will kick yourself. When you, when you, when you finally start reading this beautiful piece of work, this amazing piece of work, you'll be like, damn, I wish he'd nagged me to read this earlier or listen to this earlier. You can get it uh, in Kindle format or ebook format. You can get it as an audiobook available for free at almostnovel.com, almostnovel.com, or you can go to freedomain.com slash almost. I read a lot of Nazi literature in preparation for the scenes in Germany and one character's descent into Nazism. So, All right. I would love to see Steph playing rock band. 
I believe you will have to hold your <laughs> breath on that. Let's see here. You think I will answer my presidential questions? I'm just biding your time. I'm afraid that isn't old. Do you believe Michael Jackson was a pedophile? Well, you, you want to go to raise a fist uh, on this kind of stuff. He's available at unauthorized.tv, as am I, to, some, to, to a large degree. And so Razor Fist has, okay, so Michael Jackson, not the wisest guy in the world. He was, I believe, if I remember rightly, he was sexually abused as a child. And this gave him some pretty significant torture uh, as an adult. And, you know, he shouldn't have been having sleepovers with kids who weren't his. And I mean, this should not have been going on. But there were some significant inconsistencies in a lot of the stuff that was put forward. And Razor Fist has uh, made some very good arguments about all of that stuff. And yeah, Razor Fist, uh, you kind of got to get used to the look and the aviator shades, but uh, that man is a concentrated black pill machine gun motor mouth. That is really something else. Really something else. All right. Let's see here. Almost all pedos were molested as children, allegedly. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think that is the case. Uh, pedophilia doesn't reproduce as much as it is recruited, so to speak. Could you do a video arguing in favor or sympathy with the boomers? Thou shalt not bear false witness. I do not. I do not think I will. Oh, did he do a Cosby rebuttal as well? Yeah, so, I mean, that that is always the concern, right? So I know Michael Jackson went against some particular narratives and then got into a huge amount of trouble. Uh, Bill Cosby with his famous, I think it was Putin speech or something like that, um, where he criticized the black community. Uh, he also then got into trouble after that. How much these things are related, I don't know. It's like the question of Libya and Iraq and Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi, and they wanted to get off. Uh, the U.S. dollar and come up with a gold-backed or oil-backed or commodity-basket-backed currency of their own. And what happens then? Um, I don't know. I don't know. And again, none of this stuff particularly matters to me because as a voluntarist, I recognize that the state is the problem. As long as we have a state, we're always going to have a corruption. And trying to gauge or measure or predict or analyze that corruption is, uh, to me, not a big, big thing. Uh, ultimate crossover, Stefan Molyneux and Razor Fist. I would do a show with him, for sure. Um, are you still in contact with any content creators still like Steven Crowder? Um, I don't really, no, not in particular, no. Although St Steven Crowder has had some significant health issues, and he also had a baby or babies, did I get that right? So good, good for him. Uh, let's see here. I think I'll take... One more. Yeah, if I did Razor Fist, I'd have to get Aviator Shades, just as I had to get a jacket with no top for uh, uh, Sticks, Hex, and Hammer. Hey, Steph, why do you think some women react angrily when mentioning that a promiscuous past leads to unhappy marriages? It's risky for men. Um, well, of course women are going to react angrily because you're saying that their dating strategy is is bad, right? Um, his that you're, you're saying that their dating strategy is bad. And if a woman has a lot of sexual partners, it's very risky for a man to marry her. Extremely risky. And it's DDD, right? It's dick dose dependent, right? The more dicks, the more destruction. 
Uh, and, you know, you've almost no chance of divorcing a woman if you marry her when she's a virgin. If she's had one sexual partner, they would go up slightly and then it just goes up from there. And, you know, at the higher levels, you know, 16, 17, 18, 20 plus, I mean, the odds of divorce are huge and it's just a terrible thing. Now, whether that's causation or correlation, I don't know. Maybe the women who are just unstable in relationships have a lot of partners and then they're going to divorce you regardless, right? And even if they were locked in a nunnery, they'd still divorce you or whatever, right? Or maybe the women who are uh, more religious and take the vows more seriously and who don't have sex before marriage are the ones who are going to stay married to you and so on. We do know, of course, that in the Amish and Mennonite communities, divorce is almost unheard of. Part of that, of course, is for religious reasons. Part of that is for the fact that there's no welfare state and they don't really participate. And I don't know what's happening with, with COVID. Anybody does, let me know. COVID and the Mennonite or community or whatever it is that they unvax or whatever, right? So if you're saying to, when you say to a woman, like here's a phrase that that is just chilling for women. I don't know if it still is, but I know it was incredibly volatile when I was younger. If a woman says, or if, if it is said about a woman, she's damaged goods. Oh, man. I don't know what the... I think the equivalent for a man is... I don't know what the equivalent for a man would be. He's a broke loser. He'll never amount to anything. Something like that. Like he can't get any resources. He can't ever support a family. But for a woman to ref, be referred to as damaged goods is incredibly brutal. And a way, of course, that you destroy culture is you promote promiscuity for women, and then, in a sense, for men, right? When you promote promiscuity for women, it allows women to shoot far higher in the 1 to 10 scale than they otherwise would be able to achieve. So a woman who's a 5 who offers up sexual access immediately becomes an 8. A woman who's a 3 becomes a 6. A woman who's a 7 becomes a 10 because they're offering sexual access. Now, that's not scientific. That's just you know, some, some kind of made-up thing, right? So for a woman, she can go three, and this isn't just looks, right? This is the whole, the whole package, right? So a woman who's a seven can get a 10 male as a fling, maybe as a short-term boyfriend, by offering sexual access because she becomes a 10 because she comes with sexual access. And she can't keep him, though. She can't keep him. Because there are other women coming along. Then an eight's going to come along with sexual access, who then is off the, off the she's an 11, she's off the charts, right? And so the, the 10, the woman can get from seven to 10. Now, the whole point of not having sex before marriage, one of the major points outside of the obvious, like no kids out of wedlock. But one of the things was to make sure that the woman didn't value herself too highly. The woman did not value herself too highly. I can't remember his name, but there's this uh, really eloquent and, and brilliant and courageous black guy who talks mostly to black women and tries to get them to align their values to what's possible, right? And saying, look, if, if you want a black guy who makes $100,000 a year, who's six foot two and handsome and so on, you're looking at the top, you know, 10% or 5% of, of men. And if you're not a nine or a 10, you're, you know, you're aiming out of your league and so on. So the whole, if, if you bring sexual access, it artificially raises a woman's sexual market value to the point where she can have a boyfriend but not a husband. She can get the 10 as a boyfriend or a fling or a one-night stand, but she cannot get the husband. And what that means is that the woman 
develops unrealistic standards, and she lowers her sexual market value by constantly aiming higher through providing sexual access than she would otherwise be able to achieve, she sets her sights too high at a time when her own sexual market value is declining because she's having too many relationships and she's getting older. Again, don't get mad at me. These are just the facts as, as far as I've seen them, and I've got a whole presentation on this, The Truth About Sex, fdrpodcast.com. Do a search for that. So if you allow women to offer up sexual access, they go too high in sexual market value than can be sustained. It's like giving someone who's new to motorcycles the most powerful motorcycle. It's just bad, right? It's not going to end well, right? So they get to up themselves too high at a time when, as they continue to grab and lose nines and tens, they grab and lose nines and tens, they get heartbroken, they get bitter, they get frustrated, they get angry at men, they get unprocessed trauma from being dumped all the time, and they get older. And so they get into their 30s, and things really change now. They can't get the nines or the tens by offering sexual access. So then, and, and now they've gone from being a seven who can get a 10 by offering sexual access, they go from seven to five. And then they've got to start going from tens to fives. And that's a bitter pill to swallow, even if you've tamed your gag reflexes, right? So it's really brutal for women and, and trying to remind women of this, like what happens over the wall, what happens over the sort of mid-30s hump or the early-30s hump. It's really brutal. You have to then go from, I can get a 10 for a month to, I have to settle for a five. And of course, the five knows that you're settling, plus you know, the five knows that you're likely to divorce him because you still think that you should forever de deserve a 10. And it's really, it, it, adding sexual access is like taking cocaine. It, it completely messes up your standards of, of happiness and, and how to attain it and contentedness and so on. You, you, it's good to aim high. It, it, you know, when I was a, a teen, a teen uh, mid-teens, I asked out the, 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 the top queen of the high school, or junior high school at that time. Absolutely, aim high. I was always aiming for the top tier of, of women. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you do have to be realistic at what you can actually achieve. And I skated by on looks and charm and charisma. I didn't have any money, of course, and that was enough. I could get women, but... At some point, they were like, what's his future? <laughs> what's he going to actually... It's great that he's going to theater school, but whatever, right? So I think that's important that when a woman throws the V-bomb into the relationship, she can upscale who she can get a hold of, but she can't upscale who she can keep. She can't get, you know, she can get the condom on the man, but she can't get the ring on the finger. And that creates a lot of bitterness. And when you point that out, you're saying to the woman... What is it that, that guy says online uh, on YouTube? He says, you're average at best. His, his question to women is, okay, straight out of the shower, no makeup, no hair weaves, look in the mirror, what are you? And he says, what is your dress size? When you last weighed yourself, how much did you weigh? And then you've got women who rate themselves as a six who want the top 5% of men. And he's like, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. What's wrong with an average guy? You're an average woman. What's wrong with an average guy? He's harsh, man, and I, you know, I don't know all the sexual politics that are going on in the black community these days, but it's pretty ballsy, and uh, it's interesting <laughs> what he, what he talks about, what he says. All right, so let's see here. 
I'm a one for sexual access. No, don't, yeah, you don't. Don't, uh, don't get a man for where you aren't, which is uh, your vagina. It's where you're not, right? All right, so let's see here. Uh, most women started having sex at 15 to 16. Is that right? Is that where it is these days? By the time they're married at 28, they have had more sexual partners than their husband. Oof, that's rough. Does the same go for men? Men do seem to be able to survive multiple sexual partners a lot better than women. And I think that's partly physiological, partly psychological. There is a vulnerability in the sex act for women that there just really isn't there for men. I mean, you know, I talked about this before many years ago, but, you know, a woman is kind of half pinned down on a bed in the missionary position with a guy pounding away at her. She's in a uniquely vulnerable position. And if you put yourself in that vulnerable position without the sanctity and security of at least a long-term relationship, let alone a marriage, then you are showing a woeful lack of self-preservation instincts. And I read as a kid, uh, as a famous book back then, Looking for Mr. Goodbar, about a woman who just goes and sleeps with guys, if I remember rightly. And it's a really powerful ending because she ends up with some psycho chasing her around the apartment and the book actually cuts off mid-sentence as he kills her. And it is really... Is it Kevin Samuels? Kevin Samuels. Hey, Kevin, let's talk. All right. This is brilliant. This is why I follow you, Steph. Amazing stuff. Well, thank you. That's very, very kind. I appreciate that. All right. Um... Women aren't adjusting. They're just staying single. Right. And, you know, there is a Darwinian reality to that, that if you are unwilling to adjust your expectations, if you are unwilling to change your behavior based upon rational empirical evidence, should you really be a parent? Should you? I, I, I think you could make an argument either way, but you could certainly make the case that um, if, if the woman is going to feel like she's settled and she's worth all of that and she's unable to process the reality of time and lowering of sexual market value, you know how it is in your 30s and in your 40s. Women are falling off the cliff and men are coming into their own. Like 40 for men and women is like 20 for men and women, but the roles are reversed. So at 20, men don't have any money, but women have all the beauty that they're about to possess. Whereas at 40, men have a lot of money, or at least much more money than they had when they were 20, and women are almost completely infertile. So, and this is the great tragedy, is that women understand scarcity in supply and demand too late. Men understand it at the beginning. What is it I saw the other day? You've got to work smarter, not harder. If you want to if you want a girl and she's got a boyfriend, it's 1v1. If you want a girl who's single, it's 1v20. Think about these things. So a 40-year-old man who's attractive and, and or reasonably attractive, who has a good job and, and has no children and no ex, is a rock star, right? I mean, as far as supply and demand goes, right? Whereas a woman who's 40 isn't going to, like, who's she going to get? Who's she going to get? She's going to get some guy in his late 50s or early 60s who thinks 20-year age gap is great. He doesn't want kids, and she's just, you know, too old for them and all that. So this is, this is you know, women, if, if they wanted to, and this is, you don't want them to find out when they're 40 about supply and demand in the sexual market sphere, right? You, you don't want them to find that out because a man understands that he's low value when he's 20 and women are incredibly high value. 
He understands that, so he works very hard to improve himself and get resources. So a man can become wealthier, a woman can't become younger. A man can gain money, a woman can't recover eggs. And so by the time, and I've got a whole, it's on Locals, freedomain.locals.com. It's a whole show. Oh, no, I, is it there? I think it's there. Anyway, it's a show I recorded some months ago I haven't released yet. About, it's an article about women complaining that you know, after 40, we're just, we're just invisible. They're like, well, hello, welcome to men when you're 20, right? And of course you're invisible because you're trying to get by on sexual market value when you're no longer fertile. And the whole reason sex exists and sexual market value exists is because of fertility. That's the whole reason it exists. Your eggs are your physical beauty. That, that's it. That's all. Your physical beauty is simply a proxy for the quality of your eggs. All you are is a way for your eggs to make more eggs. You are the egg curtain container, and, and it's the same thing for men, right? All we are is receptacles for our sperm to make more sperm in the next set of testicles, right? That's all we are. Your, your toe, you're a big giant lever through which your toe tries to make another toe. I wrote about this in my novel, uh, uh, The God of Atheists, like 25 years ago. All we are is genes striving to reproduce. Sexuality, attraction, dating, excitement, endorphins, love hormones, bonding, sexual lust, desire, all of these exist for procreation. So once a woman can no longer procreate, she might be used as practice by some younger guys, but uh, yeah. Oh, I'm invisible. Well, you wouldn't be if you had a family. And my, my wife is in her 50s. She's not invisible. <laughs> She's loved and worshipped every day. But uh, yeah, it's it's... Like, it's easy to think that something that is accidental is innate. It's really easy to think that. You know, I have blue eyes. You know, for some people, that's attractive. I didn't earn them. I can't say that I have any value because of blue eyes. Not me. My virtues, yeah, I can earn and achieve those. Honesty, commitment, I, I can do that. But, you know, the fact that I'm almost six feet tall, the fact that I have a good physique, the fact that I have a pleasant face, the fact that I have a strong jawline, I, I didn't earn any of these things completely accidental. I can't take any pride or think that I have value because of these things. Come on. That make any sense at all. It's like inheriting a bunch of money and thinking you're a brilliant entrepreneur. <laughs> make any sense, right? And here's the thing, too, right? So if you, uh, for a woman to offer up sex is like a man who's very wealthy, right? A man who's very, a young man who's very wealthy, right? But the difference being that a young man who's very wealthy with a fair amount of, not even a huge amount of financial prudence can maintain and grow that wealth over time. You know, just don't blow it all, put a majority of it in some, something that gains money over time and you're good to go, right? So the man can preserve and expand his wealth, but the woman cannot preserve and expand her fertility over time. And hiding the far side of 40 from women is the fundamental job of the media these days, hiding the far side of 40 or blaming men. Well, why aren't men as sexually attracted to a 60-year-old as they are to a 20-year-old? It's so shallow. It's like, if men were sexually attracted to 60-year-olds, none of us would be here. So the fact that you're here is because men prefer fertility over wisdom. Okay. Um, Uh, why do you think there are more male virgins than women? Oh, you can't be asking me that question. That's just supply and demand, right? Is there an empirical test or way to know if you're being too hard on your parents for past neglect? Um, it's up to them to make you feel better, right? If, if I wrong someone, it's up to me to make that person feel better. And so... 
if you're still angry or still upset, it's almost always because the other person has not made sufficient amends. Or maybe the amends are impossible because the damage can't be undone. Do you think USA will go to war with China? Oh, no, no, no. The, the days of these big wars, it's all long past. There's too many weapons of mass destruction, bioweapons, nuclear weapons, uh, you name it, right? Uh, there's no way to go to war with China because you've got open borders and you've got multiracial society. So, you know, people can just go across borders with, with suitcase, BOMBS and stuff like that. So yeah, it's all, um, this, this all, it's all subterfuge. It's all, you know, fakery and, and deking and this and that and the other, right? So it's another reason why I think a lot of people hope that the uh, vaccines are safe because, uh, it looks like the mandate for the U S military is going in. Can men be damaged goods? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Men can be damaged goods by being, the son husbands of single mothers. Men can be damaged goods by not accruing any skills or resources in which to gain uh, value in the free market or anything like that. Are you a Ben Shapiro fan? Fuck no. Good God, no. Absolutely not. You're wretched. Uh, video games can drain guys. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because video games are to achievement as pornography is to family, right? Doesn't just gives you the appearance, right? Should I use my good looks and my big muscles to bed a lot of women and feel like a big man or remain a virgin till marriage? I'm 16. Well, I'm not going to give advice to you because you're, you're underage. But I will say this as a whole, that if you want to, if you're opposed to feminism, don't bed a lot of women. Because if you bet a lot of women, they're going to feel used, they're going to feel angry at men, they, and they won't take responsibility for themselves. Very few people will ever take responsibility for their own actions. Very few people will ever take responsibility for their own actions. And, and... With women, because there are so many simps willing to prop them up and so much of society that, that when they cry and they're upset, it's like, oh, he's a bastard and you deserve better and you did nothing wrong. And there's so many people who prop up women, it's almost impossible for young women to take responsibility for their own actions. It's almost impossible for young women to take responsibility for their own actions. And I say this as a guy who's talked to thousands of people about the most intensely personal subjects over the past 16 years. I mean, I've done thousands of, of conversations with people. It, it's a truly remarkable amount of information. It's not scientific, it's self-selecting, but it's a lot of depth. It's a lot of depth, and they've all been collected for all time. And you know how it goes. Women choose the wrong guy and then say there was no way to choose the right guy. It was impossible. The signs weren't there. He hid it. He was, it, I was fooled and blah, blah, blah. They can't ever, but of course, the whole point of women have evolved it's like a man saying, I had no way to know who the more attractive woman was. I had no way to know which women had the better genes. I had no way to know which women were still of childbearing age. No way to know what. Look, men have evolved to figure out when women are of childbearing age or not and to not pour resources into older women. It's one of the reasons why men developed the ability to make women laugh. Because when a woman laughs, particularly in the sunlight, you can find out how old she is based on the crow's feet. Laughter is an age-testing strategy for men to make sure they don't put their resources in empty egg nests, right? It's not one of the reasons, right? Because this is the way it works, right? So what, and, of course, it's to show intelligence. It's a mating strategy as well, but it's also a reveal age strategy, right? So if a woman is abetted by a guy on the implicit assumption that it might lead to something permanent or marriage, and then he leaves, she's not going to sit there and say, well, I guess it was my own insecurities in putting forward sexual access because I don't feel like I'm worth that much based on my personality. So maybe I should read more books. Maybe I should become more literate. Maybe I should become a better conversationalist. And maybe I should have more confidence in my personality so I don't have to offer up the V-bomb in order to get the crater of man's heart to nestle in. She's not going to say that. She's going to say, that man is a bastard. 
I can't believe he didn't call me back. He lied to me. I'm angry. And then she's going to do it again. And she's going to say, oh, my God, another one. I can't believe these men, they just, they just what, do they just want me for sex? They just lie to me? They just, what, there's all this implicit, uh, 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 he's going to be there for me, he wants a relationship, and then he just leaves, he ghosts me. And then it happens again, and she's like, man, men are bastards. And then she becomes a feminist. So you're wrecking your own culture by sleeping with multiple women. All right. Are you a Limp Biscuit fan? Did you dig Fred Durst's new look? I am. I don't think I've ever heard one of their songs, I'm afraid. Did you see Michael Moore cheer the declining number of whites in the U.S.? Yeah. Well, whites have been demonized, and then Jimmy Fallon was talking about this in his show, and everyone cheered. And Yeah, it, it just it doesn't end well. It doesn't end well, but, I mean, there just seems to be very few people pushing back against it, so can't do much. So I can't live with a woman to see if she's sane to live with without having sex. Well, you don't, you don't need to live with someone to know if they're good to live with. You just spend a lot of time together <laughs> and make sure you share the same values. That's all. All right. Uh, again, I am blown away. I love your blunt metaphors for everything. Amazing stuff. This is why I support you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Freedomain.locals.com. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I love blue eyes. My eyes are such a dark brown that they look black in most light. Wait, are, are they so dark that the guys are like, Lucy, I could just get lost in your eyes. No, seriously, I need a flashlight. I could totally get lost in there. It's pitch black. <laughs> everyone, not, everyone not watching this is missing out big time. Yeah, you could be doing something else, but... Why would you? <laughs> Why would you? Uh, let's see here. Yeah, uh, porn will give you erectile dysfunction as far as I understand it. Where does attraction to 60-year-olds come from? 80-year-olds who need uh, a nurse. Uh, my neighbor is in his late 30s and his girlfriend is in her 60s. We all thought she was his mom when he moved in. Uh, that's the exception that proves the rule, right? Uh, will plastic surgery and freezing eggs or fertility tech help women bypass the wall? No. I mean, no. I mean, people can do it and all of that, but um, the reality is that a man does not want a woman with financial liabilities. This is the whole point of student debt, is to load down smart women with so much debt that they become unmarriable. And let's be frank, that's what happens. That's what happens. I remember meeting women when I was a young man, and I was single, and I was meeting women, and I would chat with women in coffee shops and restaurants and all that because I knew I was looking for a very special woman and I was casting my net widely and I didn't get involved in too many relationships, but I'd go out with dates with women and I'd ask them about their finances and their life and their all of that. And the women who were like, oh yeah, I got $50,000 in, in student debt. Well, I know I want kids. I knew I wanted kids, which meant that I also knew that I want my, my wife to stay home with the children, breastfeed and, and raise them. I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not paying for a wife so that she can pay another woman to raise my children. <laughs> That's just not how it's going to be. Because if I love her, I love her values. And I want those values transferred to the children so we can all continue to love each other. I am not paying a woman to stay home and send my children to be raised by another woman. Like this. 
that's too weird. That's like inception crazy as far as that goes. So what I looked at is I said, okay, so you got $50,000 in student debt. You know, we are whatever age it is where it becomes more important to start thinking about settling down and having kids. And ladies, whether you like it or not, men are doing these calculations like that. It's a lightning calculation. $50,000 in debt. Okay, so you stay home. You'll stop working. You'll be raising the kids. So I get you, and it's like a $50,000 negative dowry. I have to pay $50,000 to get you as a wife. Now, there's some other woman who's going to be able to stay home and raise my kids just as well who doesn't come with a $50,000 price tag. Well, I don't like buying a wife. So I'm not going to pay for your student loans so that you can raise my kids. That doesn't make any sense. Because also, if you haven't been able to pay off your student loans by your late 20s, you chose the wrong field now, didn't you? <laughs> no, no, but I have a degree in art history. It's like, well, then I'm afraid you lack the forethought and wisdom to make any intelligent decisions. And you're just going through life in a blur of today, like you're stuck in some revolving door. You're just going through life in a blur of now. Oh, I'm I go see this movie. Oh, this this band's coming to town. Oh, this guy's cute. Maybe I'll go out with him for a bit. Oh, I should, you know, and it's like there's no there's no plan. There's no arc. There's no story. There's no plot. It's just a blur. It's like the car's a blur going by every day, right? Can't do that. No, no, not interested. Not interested. Uh, apologize if I didn't fully catch that, but did you say women in their 40s have the same sexual market value as men in their 20s? Um, I don't even know how to answer that. Uh, on Kevin Samuels, the women always mention their careers and money as well as what they bring to the table, but never feminine traits. Um, well, men don't care about your money. I mean, I've been saying this forever. Like a, a wealthy man will look at a really hot cashier at a supermarket and be like, yeah, maybe she could be the one, right? Whereas that would never happen the other way around, right? Uh, careers and money is what they bring to the table. No, see... As a whole, look, um, women have careers, women have money, wonderful thing, right? But as far as like the, the infants, I'm talking about infants and toddler phase, right? Infants and toddler phase. If you've got a woman, let's say she's, she's a woman and she's a lawyer, right? She's a lawyer and she's really heavily involved in her profession. She's got a lot of cases. She's aiming to crack partner and that kind of stuff, right? And she's like 30 or whatever, right? She's partner track. And she's talented and, and brilliant and, you know, wonderful. More, more power to her. I think that's fantastic. But as a man... You sit there and you say, well, okay, so if I want a wife and kids, my life is going to be hell. It's going to be horrible because my wife isn't going to want to quit because she makes too much money. She loves her career too much. So who's going to raise her kids? Well, some other woman is going to raise her kids and she's, the kids are going to bond with that other woman or daycare workers or some you know, low rent person or in some daycare. And I know I worked in a daycare. This is not high quality people. So... And of course, right, because it's like 10 bucks an hour or whatever, right, back in the day. It was less than that for me. But So the guy's going to look at the lawyer, and she's like, she's hard driving. She's a professional. She's, okay, great. Then go be a dedicated professional. Go and, and get people off death row and do all these wonderful things. But as far as you being the mother to my children goes, pff, no thanks. No, because you're going to have court uh, on the weekends. You're going to have briefs that you have to write uh, late at night. And I'm barely going to have a wife, and the kids are barely going to have a mother. Why would I want that? No guy wants that. Why would you? I mean, because especially the, the people who've seen their parents do this, right, try to see this, they don't want that. They've seen what happens, right? They've seen what happens. So a woman who comes with a high-powered career 
Well, the man doesn't need the money. Plus, she won't choose a man who doesn't make a lot of money because there's no way a lawyer who makes $200,000 a year is going to choose some guy who makes fifty grand a year. So a lawyer making $200,000 a year is going to choose a guy who makes $300,000 a year. Well, at $300,000 a year, you don't need a woman who makes $200,000 a year. And you're at the time of life when your kids need more you than money. And you have less time because you're older and you have more money. So why would you want even more money if it means less time with your family, less time with your kids? Doesn't make any sense at all. Doesn't make any sense at all. If We have completely forgotten what it's like to design a society around children. Like we have no idea anymore what that means. Now, we have the words, oh, we would do anything for our kids. Kids are the future. Kids are everything, right? We have no idea what it means to design our life around our children. I do have an idea about this, and this was something my wife and I talked about. We planned very carefully and all of that. So yeah, I used to write two books a year. I don't write books anymore. I've written like two or three books in the last 12 years. Why? Because I'm designing my life around my child. That doesn't mean I live for her, but it means that you design, like, of course, children are the most vulnerable. They're not there by choice. They're the most helpless. They have the fewest rights. So of course, we should design our society entirely around what's best for children. And what's best for children is to have a mother with eye contact, there with them 24 hours a day, breastfeeding, skin-on-skin contact, reading, cooing, playing, you name it. That's what children need. And a man, women used to understand this. They've been talked out of it in some mysterious fashion. But men understand that. Why, why would I want some woman who's, oh, I, I got I to gotta fly to, to Boston for two weeks to deal with a court case, or I've got to go do depositions in Houston or whatever. It's like, oh, great, okay. Uh, I already have a high-powered job because I'm making $300,000 a year, so I guess we have to have a live-in nanny now uh, who's going to cost us hundred grand a year for a quality nanny. Okay, so that's half your salary. The other half goes in taxes and other weird expenses, so we're barely making any money. I've got some woman raising my uh, children, who, of course, is going to have some angle, you know, as, as I suppose uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Screw Your Freedom maid did, right? Screw your freedoms. How about you stop screwing your goddamn maids? But um, you, you, so I have to, so I have to have, I have to hire a mother for my children who's not their mother, <laughs> right? Well, what, what sense does any of this make? Oh, and plus, she might quit. She might leave. She probably will. She's going to get married, she can have her own kids, and then I've got to go hire another woman for the children, and the children start to lose the capacity to bond because they can't have predictability and regularity in their relationships. They go through a death of a mother, so to speak, when the nanny of, of two years leaves, which she's going to do. Not going to, it's, not, it's not a fantasy. This is a reality. How many nannies stay for the full 18 years? Because if they're around kids, they love kids. They're good with kids. They love kids. So they want kids. Their own. They're going to have kids. They're going to leave you and leave your kids. So a man looks at a professional woman, lawyer, makes a lot of money, high-powered, excellent, fantastic. So I have to get married to you, and then I have to buy a mother for my children. And you'll be gone a lot. She'll be there. I can't have sex with her because I'm married to you and you're a lawyer, so I don't want to get divorced to you of all people, right? So what's there? Alienated children, lack of transfer of cultural values, sexual frustration from isolation, and a woman in the house who probably wants to bang you like a, like a gong, right? The, the uh, nanny. Why would you want that? Because what? Your wife brings home net 
$50,000 a year after you pay the nanny and taxes and all the expenses of all of that, her professional dues and insurance and legal insurance. I, what, what guy? Hey, I got $300,000 a year, this guy says, right? That's, that's a huge amount of money. I, I can just get some woman who's you know, smart and wise and funny, wants to stay home with my kids. She's going to run my household. I get regular access to sex. The kids are bonded. Everyone's happy. She can homeschool. It's beautiful. I, I marry you. I got to pay for someone to raise my kids. I get a wife. And someone else raises my kids. What kind of, what kind of sense does that make? I mean, this is an old Tom Likas thing where there was this woman called in. She was in her 50s and she's like, but I own my own house. And he's like, men don't care. <laughs> men don't care that they let you own your own house. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All right. All right. So let's see here. What here we have? Oh, my gosh. It's already two hours. Holy crap. Yeah, and I don't, uh, you know, this idea that I'm going to, you know, women, oh, we'll just wait for women to call out other women and women to take responsibility. It's like, no, no, it's not. It's, um, they're waiting for a fantasy. All right. All right. But the left calls Republicans Nazis, yet Republicans are exact opposite of Nazis, says they want more individual freedom and small central government. Yeah. Yeah, but again, it's just a strategy, right? It, it works. Why do why do people Republicans why do why do why do hold white supremacists? Because it works. All right. How important is having a high IQ wife? Well, I mean, intelligence is significantly passed along the maternal line, so it matters. But I would much rather has a have a wife who's wise than a wife who's high IQ. See, what you want is someone in your life who thinks for themselves, right? Now, a woman who's a high-powered lawyer and who wants to get married and settle down and have kids but still continue her career and go back to work two weeks after the babies are born and breast pump in a toilet and uh, send it home through carrier pigeons or whatever the hell happens, right? Well, that's just a woman who, who is a midwit as far as wisdom goes. She's smart enough, obviously very smart, to get into law school and, and although whether that's affirmative action, probably not, right? So she's smart enough to get all of that and she's, she's very competent, good at what she does. Okay, great, great. I think, again, no problem with that. I mean, the fact that Ayn Rand didn't have kids doesn't bother me at all. It's totally fine. She was a great novelist and a great thinker. So, But what you want is someone who thinks for themselves, right? So if you sit there and say to the woman, you know, she's like, oh, you know, we really get along. We should think about settling down or whatever. Or, you know, if you say on an early dating situation, right, and you say, eh, you know, but I, I want to, you know, if, if I want to have kids, but I don't want to just have kids like I'm dropping bombs, right? I want to have kids like raised in our values and, and to value the things that we value and, and who we can have great conversations with and and we don't have to deprogram from some crazy stuff that the teachers or the daycare workers or the nanny tells them more. Like I want, I want to have, like you and I, you know, you wouldn't marry me and then have substitute me for someone else because you'd be like, I don't know what the hell I'm getting, right? And so we don't want to become parents and then substitute someone else to raise our kids. I would like you to stay home because you are the breastfeeding. What do you have to say now? Chest feeding or something? <laughs> you are the breastfeeding 
person and, and all of that. So if she's like, oh, that's very interesting, and, and they say, look, let's net out. How much are you going to actually make after we pay for the nanny, we pay for your expenses and your insurance and your dues and travel and whatever it is and education that you need to take? How much are we actually getting after taxes if we have to pay 100 grand for a nanny or 50 or 80, whatever it's going to be, right? Let's go through it. How much you actually make in here? Work 80-hour weeks. You work, is that going to be the same when you have kids? That's not fair to the kids, is it? And, you know, if you're working 80 hours a week and you're netting, you know, 50 grand, right, how much does that actually, uh, how much does that actually net you, right? Let's, let's work that out, right? Again, this is, it's an extreme example, right? But, you know, this is the kind of thing. So you're working 80 hours a week, uh, let's just say times, times 50, you give two-week vacation, right? Times uh, 50, 4,000, right? 4,000 um, hours uh, a year, right? So let's say that you are uh, netting uh, 50000 after you pay for everything. So you're making $12.5 $12 an hour. You're making fucking minimum wage for abandoning your children. That's before taxes, right? So that's, that's no good. You net, net all of the expenses out of all of that. And even if you're only working 40 hours a week and it's $25 an hour, that's no good. So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad. I'm, did I get that math right? Let me. I have a tingling feeling that I did not get that math right, but it doesn't really matter. I don't want to pretend I can do math uh, all this way. But yeah, it's 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 pretty bad, right? So hot math action. Yeah, well, pseudo math action. Um, so it's it's pretty bad, right? And so you want a woman who's like, oh, yeah. But you want a woman who thought about that ahead of time, right? Who's thought about that ahead of time. You know, my wife had thought about that ahead of time and how we're going to solve it and all that. You don't want a woman who's just like, I am a working machine. I'm a working machine because she can't think for herself, can't think of the consequences of her actions, and is fundamentally living for herself and her vanity in conformity with the social narrative that says women to be empowered have to work. And you also don't want a woman who's like, well, I have to keep working because, you know, if we get divorced, that's really bad. I'll, I won't have an income. It's like, hey, man, if you're getting married to me with a plan B, we ain't getting married. We ain't getting married. No, thanks. No, no, sir. Not a chance. Not a chance. Because if we've had a chance to get to know each other, right, you should know within a month whether the person is right for you, potentially, and you'd get married within a year. That's the way it worked for me, and that's, that's the way it works, I think, as a whole. So if you get married to someone after knowing them for a year, but you have a plan B or you're really significantly concerned that it's not going to work out, it's like, well, then don't get married. Don't, I didn't have any wedding jitters. I've never had a single shred of a doubt before, during, or in the 20 years after our marriage. I have not had one single shred of doubt about the wisdom of that choice and the quality of the marriage. I've never been tempted to stray. I've never been looking at, you know, like it's it's just doesn't happen. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. And I came from a broken home. I came from a single mother household. And I was surrounded by people with absolutely terrible relationships and broken marriages and divorces and recriminations and screamings and yellings and court battles and fights through the wall and punches. I mean, I saw all of the crap that you could imagine growing up. Never doubted I was marrying the right person. Never had any jitters whatsoever. Have never doubted since that it was the best decision I ever made and the most important decision I ever made as an adult. So 
if somebody's getting married to you saying, well, I can't quit my career because I need an income if it doesn't work out. It's like, hey, man, you, you got to go find someone where that isn't even a thought. You got to go find someone where that isn't even a thought, where you're absolutely certain that it's not going to be bad. And if you're worried about money, just do, do an adult responsible thing and take out a big life insurance policy. So if the guy dies, you get a million bucks and you're fine. Or whatever. So, all right. Uh, boom, boom. All right, so let's see here. Yeah, I mean, so Ben Shapiro said some pretty terrible things about me, and, and that just tells me around fact-checking, right? I'm very careful about what I say about people. You know I me, mean? I'm looking stuff up during the show, and I always, if I don't know, I say I don't know. And I wouldn't... I wouldn't slam someone with highly negative language if I wasn't certain. And so the fact that he tosses out horrible things about me obviously just makes me doubt his fact-checking as a whole, right? And I just like... All right. Yeah, we should probably close down, right? Lots of questions, lots of comments. Um, very nice to chat with you guys. I really do appreciate it. There was a good tweet on Twitter showing what women want after the communist revolution, and it was all stuff stay-at-home mothers would be doing. Oh, yeah, for sure. Steph, why did you marry a career woman? Did you know you'd be the one staying at home? Uh, well, not when we married. And uh, my wife uh, breastfeed and was available. So Let's see here. Should we... Yeah, we should we should close it off. There's lots of great questions, but I don't want to start another big long rant. And you guys did uh, rant us, interrupt us, me, and uh, that's probably quite quite fine as well. So, all right, thanks everyone so much. What a, what a great evening's chat. I I really appreciate that. I'm sorry that I didn't get round to um, doing the audio chat. I I continuing to work on that. I mean, it's just weird. My camera just keeps stuttering um, when I ever use XSplit or OBS or anything like that. I have no idea why it even happens with a webcam. So I have no idea what's going on. But we'll figure it out at some point. And, um, yeah, maybe somebody can give me a Mac. I don't know. We'll see. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Don't forget. Don't forget. Artoftheargument.com. Almostnovel.com. Free book. It's, please, please, just get this book. I promise you, you will love it. And uh, just listen to the book. It's, it's great. You can throw it on a podcatcher. You can have a timeout as you fall asleep. Lots of great stuff going on. I really appreciate you guys coming by tonight. Everyone is part of the conversation, even the person I got annoyed at. I really appreciate you coming by as well. So thanks. Have a great evening. And I will see you Friday night, 7 p.m. Every Wednesday, of course, 7 p.m. And uh, intermittently as the mood strikes. But uh, I have uh, crushing amounts of paperwork to do at the moment. So I may be a little um, less on the air as usual. So lots of love from up here. Have yourselves a great evening. I really appreciate you dropping by tonight. Mwah! Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.